Our theme this year, as I mentioned in our first morning service this morning, is riding with Christ, riding for Christ, and experiencing His glory. Riding for Christ and experiencing His glory. Let's open our Bibles to Psalm 63 as I began there this morning. And I want to continue on this theme. I want to challenge you to begin to expect, as I said to the group this morning, every time you get on your motorcycle, whether you're going on tour, whether you're just going for a ride, going to the grocery store, just riding around town, cross country, whatever. Every time you get on that motorcycle, say, I'm riding for Christ and I'm experiencing his glory. The Bible says, declare his glory. People that don't ever declare it, don't experience it much. I declare it every day. The Lord said to me, coming into this 2018, he said, I want you to tell people everywhere you go, tell believers everywhere you go, keep on their lips and in their prayers these words, Lord, show me your glory. I get up every morning saying, Lord, show me your glory. Last thing I say when I close my eyes at night, Lord, show me your glory. And if you have to wake me up to do it, I give you permission. Praise God. Amen. And I'm experiencing the glory of God. Now, you've heard me say that if you study the Bible closely, you'll find out, particularly from Exodus 33 and Exodus 34, that the glory of God consists of three major components. Number one, it is a manifestation of the presence of God. Number two, it is a manifestation of the power of God. And number three, it is a manifestation of the goodness of God. So, once again, get up declaring, show me your glory. What are you saying? Lord, I want to experience your presence today. I want to experience your power today. I want to experience your goodness today. And if you'll notice in Exodus 33, when Moses said, I beseech thee, show me your glory. The next verse starts with, I will. God says, I will. And he's still saying, I will. But you got to hunger for it. You got to desire it. You got to want it. That word beseech is a strong, powerful word. And it, and it implies, uh, I, I have, I'm in desperate need of this. I can't, Moses is actually saying, I cannot fulfill what you've called me to do without the manifestation of your presence, your power, and your goodness. So, in other words, it was a necessity. It wasn't something just, you know, uh, just, just talking words that have no meaning. I beseech thee, show me your glory. And the reason why he is saying that is because he had experienced the glory before time and time again. And he realized how vital and how important it was to his mission. And he realized that I cannot continue to do what you've asked me to do. It's impossible in the natural. But if your glory shows up, I can get the job done. Hallelujah. Can you say amen? amen? So lift your hands right now and say, Lord, Lord I beseech thee, I beseech show, me your glory. show me your glory. And I believe God is responding to you the same way he responded to Moses. And he's saying, I will. So go ahead and give him praise in advance. Come on, you can give him praise in advance. Give him a better shout than that. Hallelujah. Amen. So... As I was praying about uh, the theme for this year, 
Uh, the Lord led me to Psalm 63. And after I received it, I contacted Bill and Ginger and let them know that this would be our theme. And also, I heard today in my spirit, I am commissioning a new patch. Riding for Christ, experiencing His glory. So get on that right away, praise God. Amen. Now, I don't have a patch for every sermon that I preach in these meetings, but I was really impressed with the Lord. We need that on our vest. I'm riding for Christ and I'm experiencing His glory. And you say amen. amen. Hallelujah. Now, Psalm 63, in verse 1, O God, Thou art my God, early will I seek Thee. My soul thirsteth for Thee. My flesh longeth for Thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. To see Thy power and Thy glory. And notice what he's pursuing. The power of God, the glory of God. So as I have seen thee in the sanctuary. Now David is saying, I've experienced your glory, just like Moses was saying, I've experienced your glory. David had experienced it. And because he had, he couldn't get enough of it. If you ever experience the glory of God, the presence, the power, the goodness of God, you will never, ever get enough of it. You'll want to experience it more and more and more. And I can understand that because I have experienced the glory of God in my life for 49, almost 50 years now. Come February, it'll be 50 years. And I never, never get enough of it. Amen. There is absolutely nothing like being in the presence of God. Smith Wigglesworth used to say, uh, I'd trade all the silver and the gold in the world for 10 minutes in the presence of God. And experiencing the power of God. Hallelujah. Well, people that have never experienced that before wouldn't understand what he's saying. But if you've ever experienced the presence of God, the power of God, the goodness of God, then you can understand what he is saying there and how vital and how important it is in the life of every believer. Not just a preacher, but in every believer's life. Amen. There are certain things you face in your life that you know by now that there is absolutely no way you could overcome them if it wasn't for the presence, the power, and the goodness of God. Can you say amen? Amen. So he says, I want to see your power and your glory as I have seen in the sanctuary. In other words, he's saying, as we would use in our modern day vernacular, I've seen it in church, but I want to see it outside the walls of the church. Amen. Amen. I want to see it on on the outside of the walls of the church. I don't want to have to just wait till Sunday to experience it. And in some churches, they don't even experience it on Sunday. In fact, that whole congregation ought to be screaming, I beseech thee, show me your glory. (laughs) If you have to remove the pastor, do so. (laughs) Well, don't go that far. But anyway, you know, uh, you know, there's some churches that never experience the glory. I'm not going to a church where the glory doesn't show up. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. So he's saying, I've seen it in the sanctuary. We've seen the power of God around here. Amen. Amen. So I heard just uh, uh, last week, I was over in Honolulu uh, celebrating Carolyn's birthday. And uh, uh, I, I got to watch a little bit of Justin's message before I went over to preach uh, in, in Honolulu. And uh, I heard, praise God, you didn't get to preach much last Sunday. <laughs> Because there was just a manifestation of the presence of God, the power of God. 
Those are great services, praise God. I love it when, when, when God says to me, leave your notebook on the table, on the, on the chair. I say, well, Lord, I really studied for this message. He said, uh, yeah, I know you did, but we're not going to preach tonight. We're just going to demonstrate. Hallelujah. Amen. I, I, some of you have heard me tell this before. I was in South Africa a number of years ago. Uh, Carol and I were there, and, and uh, John and Dodie Osteen were the other speakers in this great convention we were having there with, with uh, Pastor Ray McCauley. And uh, it was an annual camp meeting, and I had done it for years with him. And uh, the night that I was to speak, uh, the Lord said, don't take your notebook to the, to the podium. And I had really prayed and studied that, that day. Man, I was ready to preach that red hot sermon, you know. And the Lord said, don't take your notebook to the this, to this podium. I said, well, Lord, what do you want me to do? He said, I'm going to demonstrate my healing power in the praise and worship tonight. And so the praise and worship team were there, and they were, they were outstanding. John Ben Dixon was part of that church for years, and, and uh, they had a wonderful praise and worship team. I mean, they could bring the presence of God into the building. And I love being in their praise and worship services. And uh, so they were still on the platform when Pastor Ray had me to come up. And so I walked up there, and I said, uh, the, the Lord told me not to bring my notebook to the podium that he was going to demonstrate his healing power through the praise tonight. And so I only read from Psalm 150 about, you know, praising with the string instruments, praising on the loud sounding cymbals and all that. And I read that Psalm. And every time I would read about a certain instrument, I would turn to the person who was playing that instrument. I said, praise him on the loud sounding cymbals. Boy, they did. And praise him on the string instruments. And boy, they did. And we just went right down the, right down the line, you know. And, and uh, finally, uh, there's a guy standing near these bongo drums. And uh, I thought, you know, when I turned to him, I said, praise him on the bongos. He just looked at me. I said, did you hear me? Praise him on the bongos. He just stood there and looked at me. I said, praise him on the bongos. And so... He darted like this, and boy, in a little while, man, he went to plan. Come to find out, he'd never played him before in his life. <laughs> he was an usher that was standing by the bongos. <laughs> but boy, when he started playing them, I mean, the power of God hit that place, and they had brought a woman in on a stretcher in an ambulance. She was laying out there on that ambulance with all these tubes hooked up to, hooked up to her. She jumped off that stretcher took off running around the building, praise God, got totally healed. Hallelujah. Amen. I'm glad I didn't preach that red hot sermon that night. Praise God. So God wants to demonstrate his presence, his power, and his goodness, not just in church, but every day of our lives. Can you say amen? amen. So once again, Moses had seen it. That's the reason he asked to see it again. David had seen it. That's the reason he asked to see it again. How many of you have ever experienced the presence of God? Did you like it? <laughs> Did you enjoy it? Did you want it to linger? <laughs> I remember uh, back in 1981, I was preaching with Brother Copeland in the Believers Convention in Charlotte, North Carolina. 
And uh, we had got up to uh, Friday night. And I had just preached my last service Friday afternoon. And uh, the next morning, uh, they would do their glory, would do their healing service. And, and then Brother Copeland would close out the evening service Saturday night. And uh, so I was finished. Uh, Charles Capps was preaching and Norville Hayes. And, and uh, so we'd all finished all of our uh, allotted times. And so Brother Copeland's going to close it out Saturday night. And um, so when I got back to the hotel where we were staying, Carolyn said, are you going to take a nap before we go over to the service tonight? I said, no, I think I'll just sit here in the living room and, and just relax. And uh, I said, why don't you go ahead and go ahead in the bedroom there and take a nap, and I'll wake you up when it's time to get dressed and go. So she did. I took my suit off, put it in the closet, put my robe on, and I just sat on the sofa there, propped my feet up on the coffee table, and, uh, and I put my hands behind my head and just kind of leaned back on that sofa. And I, I closed my eyes for a moment. And the moment I did, the presence of God came in that room. I mean, the Shekinah glory of God. It was so thick, I couldn't even see the furniture anymore. I never had anything like this happen to me like that before. And uh, Jesus began to speak to me. And he said, my people are experiencing financial famine. And I'm going to reveal to you the keys that will bring them out. And I'll hold you responsible for sharing them everywhere you go. And so I grabbed my, I had a legal pad on the uh, end table there by the sofa. I grabbed that legal pad and I started writing as fast as I could. I filled that legal pad completely up. It felt like, it seemed like to me, that Jesus was there for hours. It was seconds which led me to come to this conclusion. Jesus can say more in seconds than most preachers can in a lifetime. <laughs> Amen. I filled that legal pad up. And so uh, Carolyn came out of the bedroom. And when she walked in there, she said, what's going on in here? I said, I just had a divine appearance of the Lord. And the Shekinah glory was still there. And we just sat down and, and didn't talk anymore, just sat down and just bask in it, you know. And then when it lifted, uh, we, we got up and started to get dressed. She said, are you going to tell Brother Copeland about this tonight? I said, no, I'm not. <clears throat> I said, we've worked together long enough. He'll pick it up in the spirit. And so we got over there to the service. <clears throat> and uh, uh, we're sitting on the front row next to Gloria and Charles and Peggy and Norval Hayes and Brother Copeland got up and he did a couple of songs and so forth. And then he, uh, usually his next thing was tell us where to open our Bibles. And he just stood there and looked at his for a few moments and didn't tell us where to open them. And uh, finally, after a little bit of time passed, he said, Jerry, God visited you today. Come tell us what he said. I hadn't said a word to him. And so I came up there and I preached that message. I called it sowing in famine. It went around the world. In fact, uh, Oral and Evelyn Roberts uh, were watching Brother Copeland's program a few weeks later. And Brother Copeland had told his TV department, I don't know what you got scheduled for my broadcast in the next few weeks. Cancel it. Get this message Jerry just preached on there as quick as you can. So it came out in a matter of a few weeks. Oral and Evelyn Roberts were sitting in their home in Tulsa 
and they were watching Brother Copeland's program when I preached it. Now, at that time, I hadn't, I hadn't met, officially hadn't met Brother Roberts. I, I, I only shook hands with him uh, the year before in a Kenneth Hagin meeting. He was on the front row, and we were sitting there, and, and I just, uh, Brother Hagin said, walk around and shake hands with somebody before you're seated. And I just walked over and shook hands with him, but didn't, you know, didn't really tell him my name or anything, just shook hands with him and sat down. But that program came out on Sunday. Monday morning, I got a call from Oral Roberts University. And uh, Brother Roberts' secretary, Ruth Rooks, said, Brother Roberts and Evelyn were watching you preach on Kenneth Copeland's program yesterday, and Brother Roberts wants you in his office first thing this morning. We'll expect to see you as soon as you can get here. I thought, wow. They didn't ask me if I had things to do. You know, they didn't ask me if I was going to be in town. He expects to see you this morning in his office. And so uh, I told Carol, I said, Oral Roberts wants me in his office. My first thought was, you know, what did I do? Now, I heard the call of God watching Oral Roberts in 1957 in Oklahoma City in my grandmother's home. And I didn't accept it, never told anybody about it at that time. But after I came to the Lord in 69, it was one of my dreams to just be able to walk up to Oral Roberts and say, thank you, sir, for not giving up in the ministry. I'm in the ministry today because of you. And uh, that would have been satisfying to me, just shake hands and say, thank you, sir. I'm in the ministry today because of you. Never dreamed that I'd ever become a friend or a co-laborer and, and never, never thought I'd wind up serving on his board for over 20 years, you know. And uh, so I got on the plane and I flew to Tulsa and found out where his office was. And somebody led me up to the office and when I got up there, uh, Ruth called him and said, Jerry Savelle is in uh, the lobby here and uh, he's ready to see you. Oral Roberts walked out of his office and he stood there in front of it with his arms stretched out like this. He was a lot taller than what I thought he was. I'd only seen him, you know, just that one time, but on TV many times. And he was a lot taller. But it seemed like to me his arms went from one end of that room to the other, you know. <laughs> and the first thing I noticed was his hands. He had big hands. And I thought, my Lord, how many people has these hands been laid upon. I later found out over a million people he'd laid his hands on. And so he said to me, with his arms outstretched, he said, uh, come here, my brother. I've been wanting to meet you for a long time. I turned around to see who else came in the building. <laughs> Nobody was there but me and Ruth Rooks. And he said, no, I'm talking to you. And I walked up to him. I didn't know how close I was supposed to get. You know, I just walked up to him. He said, come here. So I walked a little closer and said, a little closer. <laughs> so I walked up and I'm about this far from him, you know, and he just swallowed me up and pulled me up next to his bosom and began to prophesy over me. And, uh, and then he said, come into my office. I've been wanting to meet you for a long time. He said, I heard you heard the call of God when you were a young boy watching me on television. I said, yes, sir. He said, I saw you preach on Kenneth Copeland's broadcast yesterday, and it really touched my heart. He said, in fact, the reason I brought you up here is because I want you to preach it to me again, word for word, just like you did on Brother Copeland's broadcast. 
he had a, a chalkboard in his office and he handed me a piece of chalk <clears throat> and he said, uh, excuse me, <clears throat> I want you to write down all the scriptures that you shared. I want you to write down your first or your three major points. And he said, and I want you to preach it just like you did on that broadcast. And if there's something I don't understand, I will stop you and make you repeat it. He said, and when you get through today, I will let you know if you really had a visitation of the Lord. I thought I had. (laughs) He said, I'll let you know if you had a genuine visitation of the Lord. So I started out, I wrote all the verses on the chalkboard. I wrote my three main points and I started preaching to him just like I did on that broadcast. And he stopped me several times. In fact, he stopped me many times. I spent six hours preaching to Oral Roberts. When I got through, he said, you've heard from God. You had a genuine visitation of the Lord. Are you going to put this in a book? I said, well, I plan to. He said, well, you better hurry up. I'm going to do it too. And I'm not telling anybody where I got it. I said, that's fine, sir. I've been doing you that way for years. Hallelujah. (laughs) And uh, I came, I I, I was going to fly home that night and and I called Karen. I said, my brain is on fire. Smoke is coming out of my ears. I've been standing in front of oil robbers for six hours preaching to him. I said, "I I can't even find my way back to the airport. I'm going across the road and stay in the hotel and spend the night and I'll come home tomorrow, you know. And I went to, over there and went to bed and I didn't wake up till the next morning. And uh, when I got home, I told my publication department, I said, get this in a book as quick as you can. <laughs> it was the first time we'd ever done a book in less than two weeks. I called it Sowing in Famine. Or Roberts came out with his version of it. He called it Attack Your Lack. You ever read it? Attack your lack. That was my sermon. (laughs) Hallelujah. Of course, I preached his fourth man sermon many times, you know, but at least I gave him credit for it. Amen. So I had experienced a genuine manifestation of the presence of God. Now, I had never asked for that. And I could have gone on preaching for the rest of my life with never having experienced that kind of uh, manifestation. Amen. But God did it. And since then, he's done it two other times. And every time it's happened, I didn't know it was going to happen. I didn't ask for it. It caught me off guard. Amen. But the fact that I have experienced that three different times, I'm like Moses. (laughs) I'm like David. I want to experience it again. Amen. God, I'm wide open. If you want to wake me up to do it, if, if you want to stop everything I'm doing to do it, then help yourself. I am here. I'm at your disposal, praise God, because there's nothing quite like being in the presence of God. And every time he's done that for me. Now, uh, I, I'm not saying that that's the only three times I've been in his presence. I've experienced his presence Many times, over and over and over and over again. But I'm talking about supernatural visitation three times. And every time he's done it, it's taken me to another level. Not only that, but the message that he gave me 
it went around the world and it affected the body of Christ all over the world. Hallelujah. Amen. Say, Lord, I beseech thee. Show me your presence. Hallelujah. Manifest your presence, Lord. David said once again, I've seen it in the sanctuary, but I want to see it beyond those four walls. Can you say amen? amen? That's the reason I'm encouraging you. Every time you get on that bike, every time you get in your car, every time you get on your bicycle, every time you walk, wherever you might be, say it. Lord, show me your glory. Show me your glory. I've seen it before, but I can't get enough of it. Show me your glory. Can you say amen? amen? So once again, Moses said, I beseech thee, show me your glory. And it was because he had experienced it before and he wanted to continue to experience it throughout his life. David too said, so as I have seen in the sanctuary. So the point I want to make is simply this. Once you've experienced the glory of God, then you want to experience it again and again and again. Can you say amen? Not not only his presence, but his power. How many of you have ever experienced the power of God? Is that not awesome? Oh my, my, my. I was was shocked when I first came to the Lord uh, that God would use me that way. I I, I read uh, stories and saw film of of Oral Roberts' crusades, old tent crusades. I read uh, stories about the miracles in A.A. Allen's meetings and, and Jack Cole and all those great healing evangelists. I remember when I got that book uh, about Smith Wigglesworth ministry, uh, 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 Apostle of Faith. I couldn't put it down. Somebody gave me a copy of the book, uh, Reese Howe's Intercessor. I couldn't put it down. All the miracles that took place in there. And, and just reading them, you know, reading about those things that took place in their lives uh, stirred me up. And, of course, I desired to see that kind of power and, and manifestations of God's glory in my life. But at that time, I never, I never thought that he would do things like that with me. And, of course, while I was still living in Shreveport and uh, in 69, when I accepted the call to preach, uh, the first thing God thrust me into was a street ministry. There wasn't a church wanted to hear a word I had to say. Nobody's invited me to come, you know. So the Lord said, hit the streets. Don't wait for an invitation. Hit the streets. I started out as a street evangelist. That's the reason why evangelism is still important to me. Amen. And so uh, I'd hit the streets. And this is in the late 60s. And the hippie movement's still going on. The drug culture is, is being introduced in our country and it's becoming more and more widespread. And so we had people, you know, and, and young people that I graduated from high school with that were into that culture, the drug scene and, and all that. When I was still in the automotive business, paint and body shop, I had some of my ex-classmates bring their old vans to my paint and body shop, wanting me to paint all them all these vans, these psychedelic colors. I like to went blind painting them, you know, wild stuff, you know. And uh, they'd take the interior out and put, you know, all this crazy interior in, and, and they all going to hate Ashbury, you know. And uh, uh, they're going to be hippies and, and live that lifestyle. Well, when I first come to the Lord, 
I didn't know one thing about drugs. I didn't know one drug from another. And he thrust me into a ministry with drug addicts. People on speed. I was into speed, but not that kind. I had a hot 57 Chevrolet, you know. Amen. And, and uh, uh, I, didn't know, I didn't know anything about those drugs. And yet God thrust me into that ministry. And I'm wound up ministering to some of the biggest pushers in our city. Found out some of them lived right in our neighborhood. And so sometimes they were coming over to our house to get delivered. I remember one young man they brought over there. He was stoned out of his mind. He didn't didn't even know where he was. And they brought him over there because they heard I prayed for people like this. And they brought him over there and they held him up. He was so stoned. And I laid my hands on him and the power of God came in him and it picked him up off the floor, threw him into the corner of my living room and he slid down the wall. And when he got up, he'd born again, filled with the Holy Ghost. And to this day, he's pastoring a church right outside of Shreveport, Louisiana. Hallelujah. Amen. I looked at my hands and I thought, next. I was like, sick him to a bulldog, praise God. Amen. And then I began to realize that, that God had placed his anointing in me. And once you begin to experience that kind of thing, you want it to happen over and over and over and over. So then I started teaching uh, young people in the church that we were going to. I would take them and, and get them in the streets with me and, and uh, begin to share Christ and win people to the Lord, pray for the sick, pray for the, the, the bound and, and oppressed. And I remember one time we went to a, a place called Caddo Lake that's right outside of Shreveport. And uh, I had instructed all these young people on, on how to minister one-on-one to, to people total strangers. And so we've got about 25 young people and we've got them scattered all over the, the park there at the Caddo Lake. It was a popular place to go to, a lot of young people. And so I'm, I'm standing kind of on a hill and overlooking and seeing how that they're ministering to people. Now, a lot of them, they were, they were a little bit shy and they were timid and they didn't know how to approach a total stranger and talk to them about the Lord. No. So I'm standing there and just observing and then in a little while, I'm going to meet with them again and, and, and instruct them some more, you know, and encourage them. Well, while I was doing that, two young girls in the, in the youth department there came up to me and said, Brother Jerry, and they're crying. Brother Jerry, come with us quickly. I said, what is it? They said, we were ministering to this man. He's over here in the parking area and he's, he's crying. His baby's dying. And so I walked over there with him and the man had his head on the steering wheel and he's, he's crying almost uncontrollably. I tapped him on the shoulder and I said, sir, what can I pray with you about? He said, my baby's dying. My baby's dying. My baby's dying. I said, well, where do you live? He said, just a couple of miles down the road here. He said, I don't know what to do. And he said, we don't have any money. We don't have any insurance. My, my baby's dying. My wife is, is with her. And, and I just had to get out of the house and I just rode up here and I just parked in the parking area and I don't know what to do. I said, well, I'll go with you. And so uh, we went to the man's house. It was, it was poverty like I had not seen in a long time. When I went in that house, they didn't even have mattresses on the bed. It was just these old bed springs. 
they had a, a little uh, blanket covering those bed springs. That baby was laying on that, those bed springs on that little uh, quilt, and the mother was sitting there by her, and she was in tears. I walked over and, and looked at the baby. She'd already turned colors. I mean, I don't think she was dead, but she was as close to it as death I've ever seen. And uh, I said, do you mind if I pray? They said, no, not at all. And I prayed and God healed that little girl. I mean, the color came back into her. Life came back into her, praise God. And years later, after we moved here to Fort Worth, they sent me a picture of her going to school, praise God. And I'm telling you, when you experience the power of God like that, you want more. Can you say amen? amen? You don't want it to end. Hallelujah. And I've had the privilege of laying my hands on thousands of people all over the world. Joe and I have seen it all over Africa, all over nations, all over the world where God heals and delivers and sets free. And every time you see that, you want more. You want to see it again. You can't get enough of it. Hallelujah. Jesse and I were preaching in Phoenix one time uh, and they would catch the spirit of revival meeting. And uh, we, we were preaching together and we had a prayer line. And this lady, you remember this, Jess? She brought this baby up and I think it was you that laid hands on her. She threw the baby straight up in the air and Joe caught the baby before it hit the ground. You know, Power of God hit her and she just threw the baby up. And Joe was there and he caught the baby before it hit the ground. Amen. We've seen some things. But I believe the best is yet to come. I said the best is yet to come. Hallelujah. Glory to God. The power of God. The presence of God. The goodness of God. Amen. We're in John Bendixon's church. Uh, was it earlier this year? Yeah. And uh, we were there the year before. And usually I, I, I go to the nations where we have uh, offices and churches and Bible schools every other year. I can't go to all of them every year. But the year before we were there and we had such a powerful meeting. I mean, the glory of God was in manifestation every service. And the last night I was walking back to John's office. And as I was walking back there, the Lord said, come back next year and tell him you're going to stay until the Lord tells you to leave. I told the usher, go tell John. John was closing out the meeting. I said, go tell brother John that the Lord just told me to come back next year and stay until he tells me to leave. Well, he told him, I heard the shouting back there in that, in his office, man. And John and his wife, Sharon, they started having prayer meetings about those meetings that were to come. Man, people gathered up. It's hard to get people to pray anymore. Did you ever notice that? Oh, they'll come for a supper. But we're going to have a prayer meeting tonight. What are we going to eat too? No, we're not going to eat. We're going to pray. Watch how many show up. Now boy, he had prayer meetings. And, and boy, they were, having, they were having some powerful prayer meetings. You could feel it when I got there this year, earlier this year. You could feel it when you stepped on the property. That the preparation has been done. And boy, we had a marvelous meeting. One night, the joy of the Lord hit. In fact, we were staying in John and Sharon's home, and they went over and stayed at another place so Joe and I could have their home, and his son, Bryn, was, was there to, to take care of us. And one night at about 3 o'clock in the morning, I was awakened with the joy of the Lord. 
I started laughing. I mean, I could not stop laughing. It was, all, it was almost uncontrollable. And I kept putting my hand over my mouth trying to muzzle it because I didn't want to wake everybody else up. And I'd try to stop and it hit me again. And finally, I don't know, about five o'clock in the morning, I finally was able to fall off to sleep. And the next morning when we got up and, and Bren had made us a, a latte, you know, and, and we're sitting there at the table and I was telling him about it. And as I was telling him about it, it came on Bren. I mean, the joy of the Lord hit him. He couldn't stand up. He tried to walk back to his room and fall on the floor, just laughing. And then when we drove over to the meeting, he laughed all the way over there. When we got out of the car, he still laughed. When he walked in the office, he still, the spirit of joy was on him and it started spreading. And by the time we got into that service, that joy hit the entire congregation. It was an amazing service, wasn't it, John? We experienced the presence, the power, and the goodness of God. And we didn't just laugh all night. There were great miracles that took place, great healings that took place, deliverances that took place. And you say, amen. I don't know about you, but I'm tired of just having church. I want manifestations of his presence, his power, and his goodness. Somebody shout amen. Say, Lord, I beseech thee. Show me your glory. Hallelujah. And I believe he's still saying, I will. Hallelujah. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. So Deuteronomy chapter 33 and verse 26. As I said, there's nothing quite like being in the presence and the power of God. Deuteronomy 33 verse 26. There is none like unto God. Psalm 86 verse 8. There is none like unto thee, O Lord, neither are there any works like unto thy works. In other words, no one can compare in works, in miracles, in signs and wonders like our God. Hallelujah. It goes on to say in verse 10, for thou art great and doest wondrous things. Thou art God alone. And the message translation says, and you're ready to put your beauty on display. Hallelujah. Look at somebody and say, my God God is ready ready to put his beauty beauty on display. display. And saying, I'm ready ready to experience it. And give him a shout in advance. Hallelujah. (laughs) Glory to God. Glory to God. Now, let's go back to Psalm 63 for a moment. I want to read it again, but this time from the message translation. God, you're my God. I can't get enough of you. I've worked up such a hunger and a thirst for God, traveling across dry and weary deserts. Traveling. Everybody say traveling. That's what we do in chariots of light. That's what we do, man. It's what we do. Amen. Come on, do that with me. It's what we do, man. It's what we do. We travel. Amen. That's, that's, that's our chariot. Those motorcycles, that's our chariot. And we travel from city to city. Some of us get to do it from nation to nation, you know. Amen. And notice he says, I've worked up such a hunger and thirst for God, traveling across dry and weary deserts. I shared with you this morning, I won't go back and repeat all that. I shared with you 
uh, several examples in the Bible where people experienced the glory of God while they were traveling. That's the reason uh, I got the theme from these verses that we're riding for Christ, experiencing his glory. Why? Why, uh, When? While we're traveling. Amen. While we're doing and fulfilling the call of God that's on this outreach. That's why we do these outreaches. That's why we do the tours. Praise God. And he says, traveling across dry and weary deserts. In verse 2, the King James says, to see thy power and thy glory, so as I have seen in the sanctuary. So once again, David is saying, let me see your glory, not only in the church, but while I'm traveling. I want to see your glory every day of my life. I mean, you know, we're traveling all the time. Whether you're doing it for chariots of light or going to your job, you're, you're traveling. You got to get there somewhere, how, somehow, whether you walk, or whether you ride, you're traveling. You know, one of the great examples of a manifestation of the glory of God while someone was traveling was Saul of Tarsus. Wow. He was traveling. Look in your Bible. It says he was on a journey. And while he was on that journey, a bright light shone around him. And the Lord appeared to him. And he received his commission in that manifestation. God told him what he wanted him to do. He became one of the greatest men of faith in the history of the church. And it all happened while he was traveling. What do you suppose God would like to do for you while you're traveling? (laughs) Yes, think about it. As Gomer Powell would say, that's a poser. (laughs) Think about it. What do you suppose God wants to do while we're traveling? We We don't ride these motorcycles just because we love riding motorcycles. That's part of it. But it's our chariot. It's a tool. Just like this building is a tool uh, where Pastor Justin can preach and teach and, and train and raise up powerful men and women for God. It's a tool. Those motorcycles are a tool. We use them to travel so we can share the love of Christ, so we can share uh, uh, the, the goodness of God. Amen. And while we're traveling, we ought to begin to expect manifestations of His glory. And some of you have been with me on some of the tours where the Lord would visit me while we're riding. And I'd have to stop and pull over. And somebody somebody said, uh, the Lord must have spoke to Brother Jerry. Because if I pull over for no reason, you know, not to stop uh, for gas or fuel or restroom... And we just stop in the middle of the tour and I pull over. It's because I got to write down what God just said. Amen. Sometimes it's so powerful, I forget I'm writing and I lift my hands and go to praising and I got to grab them handlebars again, you know. <laughs> Amen. What do you suppose God wants to do for each and every one of us as we travel? Whether it's going to work, whether it's going to school, 
going on uh, a trip, going out to eat, you're traveling. God is not limited to showing up in church. He wants to show up everywhere we go. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Somebody say, Lord, I beseech thee, show me your glory. When I'm traveling, hallelujah. Not just in the sanctuary, but when I'm traveling everywhere I go. Can you say amen? Amen. Now, a dry and thirsty land. Let's focus on that for a moment. A dry and thirsty land. It is symbolic of times when you're going through tests and trials. When you've grown weary, confused, and uncertain about how all of this is going to turn out. That's what dry and thirsty land is symbolic of. David, he was fleeing for his life when he wrote this. Absalom was hunting him down. And and he's he's experiencing a, a, a tough time in his life. I can just imagine the thoughts that he had running through his mind. He's worn out. He felt all alone. Uh, once again, he's running for his life. He had all kind of questions running through his mind. You know, he's got God's promises, but he's still waiting for them to be fulfilled. And in the process, in the meantime, he's under pressure. How's this all going to turn out? Just like many of you tonight may be here, and yet you came under pressure. You got things going on back home that you probably thought at one point, I can't go to that rally. I need to stay home. Like uh, one, one time I was uh, in the early days of my ministry, I was facing a, a, a major financial uh, attack. <clears throat> and I didn't have a clue where the money's going to come from. And we need it now. We needed it yesterday. And when I think about it now, it wasn't a large amount but it was large then, you know, and I didn't have a clue how God was going to do it. So I'm sitting in my office and I'd just been given the financial statement and, and I'm looking it over and, uh, and I'll be honest with you. The spirit of worry began to come on me. I began to entertain thoughts of how are we going to do this? How are we going to get out of this mess? You know, and I'm sitting there and all of a sudden, uh, my secretary says, uh, Brother Copeland wants to talk to you. Well, when, he, when I answered the phone, he said, Jerry, it's Kenneth. What are you doing? Well, you don't tell Kenneth Copeland. Sitting here worrying. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was doing. Oh, just trust in God, Brother Copeland. Hallelujah. <laughs> He said, well, Gloria and I were praying this morning and uh, you came up in our prayers and I wanted to call you and tell you that Gloria and I are praying for you. Now, I don't know what you're going through and I don't want to know. He said, I just want you to know you're covered in prayer this morning. And that that brought relief and, 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 uh, you know, joy. And then he made this statement. He said, now, I want you to leave that office, go 
play. I said, say what? He said, go play. My first thought was, I can't go play. Somebody's got to worry here. You understand what I'm saying? Don't look at me so holy. I thought, I can't go play. Somebody's got to stay on top of this, you know, with worry, fear, you know. I said, you want me to go play? He said, yes, I want you to go play. Get on your motorcycle, go ride somewhere. Get in your car, go ride somewhere. Just get away from the ministry and go play. And he said, and while you're playing, keep thinking, Brother Copeland's praying. He said, I'm going to pray and you're going to go play. I said, sounds good to me, praise God. So you're going to do my praying while I'm playing. He said, I got you covered. And so I left there and I went out and played. I don't remember what I did, but I went out and played. And when I came back later that day, praise God, we'd had a miracle. Hallelujah. So I called Brother Colton. I said, would you like for me to go play again tomorrow? How about all next week? Maybe the next two weeks. You pray, I'll play. I'm getting good at this playing part. And I know you can pray. Hallelujah. Amen. See, he was my prayer partner. He was contending with me in faith, in prayer. Can you say amen? That's like a tag team wrestlers, wrestling match. Contending in prayer. And so we had a major breakthrough that day. Hallelujah. So notice David here is saying, I want to see your glory. Even when I'm going through dry and thirsty lands. In other words, I've seen it in church. You know, sometimes you come to church and while you're in the midst of praise or hearing the word, the pressure leaves you for a, a little while. And you, you get to feeling good while you're in praise and hearing the word and your confidence is being built. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word. And then you walk out that door and it all comes slamming down on you again. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? Where are you going to get this? How are you going to get out of this? David said, I want to see your glory. Not only in the sanctuary, but when I walk out of it. When I'm out there facing that dry and thirsty land. I want to experience your glory. And so, even though his mind is filled with thoughts of failure and defeat, he never gives up on God. And he declared right in the middle of this in verse 4. Thus will I bless thee while I live. Thus will I bless thee while I live. Why would he make a statement like that? Because Absalom was trying to take his life. And he said, as long as I'm alive, I'm going to praise thee. What happened to all that worry? What happened to all that care? What happened to all that pressure? He laid it aside and said, I'm going to praise you anyway. I'm going to lift my voice and I'm going to praise you anyway. And then it goes on to say, I will lift up my hands in thy name. With my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips. In other words, he's saying, I'm not going to allow these circumstances to steal my joy. Can you say amen? amen. Look at your neighbor and say, no matter what I'm going through, 
I'm not going to allow it to steal my joy. Amen. Now, that's easier said than done. Because Satan's after your joy. Because he knows what's connected to that. Amen. The joy of the Lord is your strength. If you don't have any joy, you don't have any strength. If you don't have any strength, you can't resist. If you can't resist, he won't flee. If he doesn't flee, you don't win. Everything's connected to your joy. Amen. I wrote the book years ago, 1981. Uh, if Satan can't steal your joy, he can't keep your goods. That book went around the world, been printed I don't know how many times, and I don't know how many different languages, and it's still a bestseller all these years later. Satan is after your joy. Amen. But if he can't get your joy, he can't defeat you. Amen. I challenge you right now. If you're going through a dry and weary land, I challenge you right now. I double dog dare you right now. Jump to your feet and give the Lord your best shout. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory, glory, glory. Glory to God. Amen. Say, I cannot be defeated and I will not quit. Give somebody a high five to seal it. Hallelujah. Amen. You can be seated. Thus will I bless thee while I live. I'll lift up my hands in thy name and with my mouth I shall praise thee with joyful lips. In other words, nothing I go through is going to steal my joy. I'm going to keep praising God anyway. Not only that, but he began to remember how God had seen him through tough times before. And he became confident that God would do it again. Verses six and verse eight or through eight. When I remember thee upon my bed and meditate on thee in the night watches. What's he doing? He's saying, I'm remembering the other times I've been through tough times. And how you always showed up. How you always delivered me. And he said, I meditate on that. Amen. Meditating on the things of God is just the opposite of worry. Worry is meditating on what the devil's done. And what the devil's doing. But here he said, I am going to remember you upon my bed. And meditate on thee in the night watches. Because, notice this, because... Thou hast been my help. Therefore, in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice. My soul followeth hard after thee. Thy right hand upholdeth me. What is David doing? He's remembering the previous times that he went through these dry and thirsty land experiences. These impossible looking situations where there is no water, meaning hopeless. You have to have water to sustain thee. And he's saying, uh, it looked hopeless. I didn't know how my, my life would be sustained. But instead of giving up, instead of quitting, instead of turning my back on God, I decided I'm going to praise you anyway. I'm going to lift my hands in your presence. I'm going to have uh, joyful lips and praise God. You've helped me before and you're going to do it again. Hallelujah. Can you say amen? amen. He's experienced God's glory before and he knows that God is not going to let him down again. Now, 
And verse 11 says, the king shall rejoice in God. Notice that was an act of his will. The king shall rejoice in God. Amen. You ever notice how many times David talks to his own soul? Soul, why art thou down? Rejoice in the Lord, O my soul. In other words, he's stirring himself up instead of listening to all those thoughts of the devil. Instead of listening to to all the, the threats of the enemy. He's saying, soul, which is made up of your mind, your will, your emotions, you, you stir yourself up. Rise up within me, old soul. Praise God in spite of what you're going through. And then he says, and the king shall rejoice in God. Do you suppose, now listen to this question. Do you suppose that seeing more of his glory is directly linked to a determination to never give up, to keep on praising God, regardless of what things look like. I personally believe it's directly linked to seeing more of His glory. I'm going to ask the question again. Do you suppose that seeing more of the glory of God is directly linked to a determination to never give up and to keep on praising God regardless of what things look like? You missed a good opportunity to write a great revelation down. I believe it is. You've got to learn to not only praise God in the good times, but also in the bad times as well. One of my favorite verses in the Old Testament is Habakkuk, or Habakkuk, however you want to say it. Chapter 3 and verse 17 and 18. Now listen to this statement. Although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither shall fruit be in the vines. The labor of the olive shall fail, and the field shall yield no meat. The flock shall be cut off from the fold, and there shall be no herd in the stall. I always ask, what else could happen to this guy? (laughs) Not one positive thing is going on in his life. But the next verse says, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. In spite of all these negative things that are happening in his life, he made a decision. It's not going to rob me of my joy. It's not going to get me depressed. I'm not going to turn my back on God. I'm not going to run away from church. I'm not going to quit tithing. I'm not going to quit praying. I'm not going to quit giving. I'm going to rejoice in the God of my salvation. He will bring me through. Hallelujah. Come on, give the Lord your best shout. Amen. The message translation says, and I'm counting on God's rule to prevail. Even in the midst of all these negative circumstances, he said, I'm counting on God's rule to prevail. When you have this same attitude, you can count on it. You will experience the glory of God. Every child of God goes through this place called a dry and thirsty land. I've been there. You've been there. Some of you may be there right now. But not every child of God responds the same way when they're there. Amen. Every one of us go through these dry and thirsty land experiences. But not all of us respond the same way. I learned to respond like the Apostle Paul. I learned this from him many years ago. 
Acts 20, 24, but none of these things move me. None of these things move me. Hallelujah. I don't get down. I don't get depressed. Like Jesse says, tried it and didn't like it, so I just stay full of joy. Amen. Praise God. None of these things move me. And Philippians 1.19 is another verse that I learned from the Apostle Paul and how to respond and how to react when you're in a dry and thirsty land. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation. In other words, I'm not giving up because I know the glory is about to show up. This is going to turn to my salvation. The message translation says, I'm going to keep the celebration going because I know how this is going to turn out. Verse 20 says, everything he wants to do in and through me will be done. I can hardly wait to finish my course. Isn't that good? Hallelujah. That's a great way to go to bed at night knowing that this will turn. I'm just going to maintain my joy. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to get depressed. I'm not going to, I'm not going to throw in the towel, so to speak. I'm going to keep rejoicing, keep my eyes on God keep declaring the word of God. I know how this is going to turn out. Everything he wants to do in and through me will be done. And I can hardly wait to continue my course. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. What's Paul saying? I'm going to experience his glory. And that's what you will be able to say if you have the same attitude. Let me close it with this. Psalm 84 verse 11. Go there with me quickly. Psalm 84 and verse 11. We read this this morning. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. The Lord will give grace and glory. Grace means the power and the ability to do what you cannot do in your own strength, on your own might. And God says, when you are going through this dry and thirsty land, I will give grace. I'll give you the ability and the power to do what you can't do in your own might. And then glory, we know it represents the manifestation of God's power, God's presence, and God's goodness. So the Lord will give grace and glory. That's his promise to us. If we stand our ground, if we won't quit, we won't give up. I I say many times, Most Christians give up just before the glory was about to manifest. I'd hate to think that I've stood and stood and stood and stood and stood. And then finally I gave up and the glory was just about to manifest. That motivates me. I am not going to miss out on the glory. Hallelujah. Praise God. So God says that he'll provide both of these, grace and glory, to those who are determined to walk uprightly. And uprightly here implies a strict adherence to God's word. If you are determined to put the word first place, let the word be final authority. And you're you're going to allow the word to be your rule and your guide. And if you do, then that means you can't grow weary and give up. And he says, those that walk uprightly, they're going to experience his grace and his glory. 
Amen. And then I want you to back up to verse 4. Blessed are they that dwell in thy house. They shall still, they shall be still praising thee. Selah. Blessed is the man whose strength is in thee, in whose heart are the ways of them, who passing through the valley of Baca. Now, the valley of Baca means the valley of tears and sorrow. And every one of us has visited that place in our walk with God. But notice the key phrase here, passing through. Notice it doesn't say, take up residence there. You, God never intended for you to live in Baca. Yeah, that's right. You just pass through. Amen. And it goes on to say here that those, those that, that, that pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a well. The rain also filleth the pools. They go from strength to strength. Every one of them in Zion appeareth before God. The Amplified says it this way. Passing through the valley of weeping, tears and sorrow. They make it a place of springs. They go from strength to strength. Listen to this. Increasing in victorious power. Amen. So notice everybody, everybody in this room has been in that place called the dry place, the weary place. Everybody has been to Baca. But not everybody responds the same way while they're there. Some people never leave Baca. You know, there's places in Fort Worth that I'm so glad I don't live there. I've passed through some places that I wouldn't want to live in. You know, uh, high crime areas. You know, uh, uh, places that are dangerous to live in. If I was driving through and had a flat on my car while I was passing through, I wouldn't call Carolyn and say, sweetheart, I now live in Baca. I had a flat tire. No one's here to help. So I've taken up residence in Baca. Give my love to the family. No. I'm probably going to drive out of Baca on a flat tire. Because I want to get out of there. There's no place for you to be. Amen. But some Christians are proud of being in Baca. Nobody knows the trouble I've seen. I remember when I first started going to church with Carolyn, I'd never been to a, a Pentecostal church. I'd never heard people give testimonies, you know. And, and often they would have a night where they'd give testimonies, usually on Sunday night. And I would sit there and I'm listening to people. And it was like they were trying to outdo one another with what they'd been through. Well, the devil visited our house this week. Blessed be his holy name. And boy, did we have some trouble this week. Uh, everybody in the house got sick. But we all know our God is able. And everybody say, yes, amen, hallelujah. And somebody get up and say, you think the devil visited your house? He camped out at our house. He's been there for a month now. And you don't know the trouble we've seen. And somebody else stand up and say, oh yeah, you think that's bad? You ought to have been at our house. 
I thought we were supposed to be praising God in these testimonies. And one time I walked up to him. It seemed like every one of them would end up saying, but we all know our God is able. And I walked up to a lady one night and I said, but did he? She said, what? I said, you said God was able. Did he? What? I said, you said at the end of your testimony, but we all know God is able. Did he? You never told us what God did. All you did was major on what the devil did. And you said God is able. Did he? I don't understand you, boy. Amen. We pass through the Valley of Baca. We don't take up residence there. We don't set up camp there. We only pass through. And the Bible says, and those who do it right, they'll come out on the other side, increasing in victorious power. Come on, give the Lord a good shout. Hallelujah. What does that mean? They saw the glory. They experienced the glory. Can you say amen? Come on, stand on your feet and let's give the Lord another good shout of praise. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord. Hallelujah. Would you guys come up for a moment? It's only 849. We'll, we'll close it out here in just a few moments. I don't want to belittle people that are going through Baca. We've all been through it. And some may be going through it right now. And the Bible says that we are to, we are to help carry one another's burdens. Stand with one another in prayer. And if you're going through this place called Baca, a place of tears, a place of weeping, a place of sorrow, you're under a lot of pressure. I'm not trying to embarrass you in any way. But if you wouldn't mind, I would love to lay hands on you because I know what you're headed for if you won't give up. He's going to give you grace and glory. Come up here very quickly, if you will. Let's all just lift our hands and let's just bless the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father.